And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is September 6, 2023. This is episode 375. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll allow sports to explain the world. We'll also take a look back on a date in Orioles history we'll that do- will live in infamy. Oh, in infamy. Uh, we'll do that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on? I'm drinking uh, a, a gin and tonic with grapefruit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, grapefruit topped with tonic mm-hmm. and then the gin. Blue coat? Uh, actually, I'm working my way through Beef Eater. Are you pardon? It was free. All right. Some, somebody said, I won't drink this. Will you drink gin? And I said, well, it, yeah. There's yeah. water in it, so... All right, well, if you want to know what we're drinking on a weekly basis... What is your drink of the week? Oh, that's right. Uh, I'm drinking a Sagamore Spirit Rye, uh, a Honey Paloma Rye Whiskey Cocktail. Uh, canned cocktails are the thing these days, so uh, yeah, good times. Um, you want to know what we're drinking? I'm on a tap to uh, MAGN8606. I'm a Jake E4025. And with that, it's time for a checkup. All right, so heading on over into the medical wing, um, let's let's talk pitching because I think that's what everyone is super concerned with right now. Uh, Tyler Wells has had arm fatigue for a while. Uh, he actually got back into a game, I believe it was this evening, um, and uh, pitched not great is the best way to describe it. I think I saw him went like an inning and two thirds innings. Um, I think he gave up a few runs. Um, but he's, he's back is the best way to describe it and has not disappeared into a pothole. He's not back. I'm a little concerned that he's not in better form Mm. considering how soon we're going to need him. Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, everyone would kept on saying, you know, as soon as September 1st rolls around, we're going to in essence go right to him. And it doesn't look like the Orioles have pulled that trigger because in essence, they don't feel like Tyler Wells is quite ready yet. Um, so something to certainly monitor. It seems like the Orioles are being very cautious with Tyler Wells. Um, they haven't shut him down because again, they're letting him pitch. Um, but yeah, they think, you know, we were thinking, you know, 100% guarantee Tyler Wells comes back in September is going to be a contributor. Uh, maybe waning a little bit away from that a little bit. I don't think I'm at, you know, 50% at this point, but maybe 70% that I'm like, maybe we, there's a possibility that we don't see him this yeah, year. Yeah, I'm not panicking, but I'm I'm not confident in the way that I once was. Yeah. Uh, one other individual is John Means, who, again, has been on the medical wing for quite some time, um, made another start in AAA this evening, um, going 63 pitches, giving up you know, several runs. Um, you know, his fastball was at 91, maxed out at 93 miles per hour. But again, we all know this about John Means. Like, it's never been about fastball velocity. It's all been about changeup command. Um, so I think the big question is, you know, the the, the, the you know, hide came out today indicating that the Orioles are going to start to move away from the six-man rotation. Um, but there was no indication of saying John Means is going to enter into the five-man rotation. 
or enter into potentially a six-man rotation in the future. But Cole Irvin is going into the bullpen as the long man going forward. Um, so, I mean, John Means looks like he's going to be up. Um, I think the question is, like, where does he slot in? Does he his slot in to replace, you know, a Flaherty? Or does he, in essence, slot in to basically be a bullpen arm and maybe be that replacement for Tyler Wells if Tyler Wells is not quite ready? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another member of the medical wing at this point, we've got to talk about the updates that have been flowing for Felix Bautista. I think the Orioles are waiting for the inflammation to go down in um, Felix Bautista's grandkids' elbows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get why we're not hearing anything about Bautista. They don't have to rush to any bad news. I get it, but I would at least like to have some closure on this. You want closure? Sure. Then you shouldn't be an Orioles fan. <laughs> um, look, I think they're hoping that something magically happens. Something magic does happen, though, Scott. With Felix Batista's arm. Mm. Um, I, again, I think, you know, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. But I think everyone, we talked about this before, we just brace for the inevitable. Um, if a miracle happens, celebrate is the best way to put it. We'll go from there. All right. Well, with that, um, I don't think there's too much. There's been a few, we'll call it nursing injuries. You know, Santander got hit on the hand. That was frightening. Um, and again, you know, there was this, this standpoint where, you know, he's able to play, but they're kind of keeping an eye on it. Um, Dean Kramer was playing around with his hand a little bit last night, maybe from a blister situation. So that's maybe something to keep an eye on too. Cedric Mullins has been out for two games in a row now in the Angels series. Um, there is a left-hander, you know, back to back game. So they might just be trying to give him some extra rest time, but there's a possibility of some nagging injuries that are kind of occurring right now um, through September. It's going to be interesting to see how Brendan Hyde in essence continues to put out a a team on a nightly basis in a very competitive playoff race. um, But at the same time, make sure that his team gets plenty of rest. Um, So just very interesting, I would say on that basis, but nothing official, um, on that basis outside the medical wing. So let's go to 280 characters less this week on the Twitter slash X. Uh, Jake, why don't you kick us off? We're going to start with a tweet from Andrew Stetka, who, of course, tweets at a Stetka. And Andrew, hey, great work uh, going to those games in Arizona. Thanks for, for repping Baltimore. Um, and I, I'm glad that you got to see uh, at least some, some winning Orioles baseball. Uh, Andrew tweets as follows. I could listen to Jim Palmer complain about umpires every night. So let me ask you, uh, is it our imagine is it our collective imagination or have we seen a couple series of just dreadful ball calling? I, I, I actually don't think it's that much different than historically what we have seen. I think everybody is on edge and everyone is in essence watching every single pitch. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, historically, if you looked at the Baltimore Orioles, um, they may not have had so many calls go in their direction. Um, but I think we are scrutinizing with a heavier lens now more than we have done in previous years. I think that's fair. All right. Next week comes from David Hall. You can follow him at David Hall VP. He's a good follow in terms of like, you know, keeping up with Norfolk Tides information um, is coming out. Um, he tweets as follows. Because of his age and youthful look, Jackson Holiday had to talk his way into getting a room at a Norfolk hotel last night. 
This cracks me up. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think this is hysterical. First of all, how crazy is it that the number one overall pick is at AAA at this point? I mean, it, it's a, an absolutely insane year for Jackson Holiday. Let's 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 put it frankly on that basis. I know everyone's been talking about that, but it's an absolutely insane matter. I mean, the fact that people are even giving you know even credence to the conversation, like well, maybe he could come up to the major league roster. That was crazy talk. Um, but again, I am eager to see um, Jackson Holiday come onto the roster uh, at Norfolk, you know, play some really competitive baseball at AAA, um, going into the minor league playoffs as well for Norfolk because they got that guarantee, you know, spot being the first half champions, which is a new rule within minor league baseball. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's awesome to watch Jackson Holiday up there. And if you look at that lineup right now for the Norfolk Tides, I mean, we talked about it earlier this year. That is a stacked lineup. I mean, it is really impressive. Um, so, you know, if the Orioles are playing West Coast baseball like they have been this week, good time to fire up your MLB, um, you know, app and, you know, watch a little minor league baseball um, if it's available. I think the Tides were the free game yesterday. Ooh. Um, so you could have watched Jackson Holiday make his ML, uh, his Triple uh, A Norfolk debut as of yesterday. So I think he was one for four with a double with a double. Yeah. His first at bat in triple A. Good yeah. gravy. All right. Um, I, I want to go back. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. I want to go back to Jim Palmer. What? He, he was referenced twice in our first tweet. We're going to go to a tweet from the man at Jim 22 Palmer, Baltimore Orioles, the best story in baseball, $63 million payroll, 630 winning percentage, 2022, four games over 500, 2023, 36 games over 500 feels good at MLB one. I mean, let's just, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Good God. It is good to have Jim Palmer back. Of course we have absolutely missed him. And, uh, it's so good to have him back in the booth. We've been blessed with so many great voices here in Baltimore on, on television and radio. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on the show. Uh, but Palmer's clearly, an incredible add to the broadcast. But the thing that that blows me away is not just how lucky we are to have him back, but how much he is clearly enjoying oh, yeah. watching this team, how much he is clearly enjoying this ride. And like he suffered along with the rest of us yeah. through terrible, terrible teams. And finally, you know, we you, you finally can, we've got a team that's worthy of Jim Palmer. You can sense like the giddiness between him and Kevin Brown, like a little bit of a slap happiness mm-hmm. is the best way to describe it. So it's great to see. I'm glad that, you know, Jim Palmer is getting to see this and everything. Um, but it's great to also see him back in the booth. Um, I'm sure he was a little stir crazy being in the hospital and being at home. All right. Can we can we go retro really quickly? Sure. Can we go back and uh, act like a former Orioles podcast? Can we do the OBP apparel standpoint? Can we do some confessions? Are you telling me that it's too late to apologize? It's too late to apologize. I have a confession. Okay. Uh, well, let me let me read the tweet first, and then okay. I'll then I'll emote. Uh, this is a tweet from Major League Baseball at MLB. The brooms are doomed. Broom emoji. With their win against the Angels in last night's game, the Orioles now have the longest streak of consecutive series of two plus multiple games without being swept in an American League history. That uh, this is eighty four series. Uh, can I tell you something? Sure. I do not care about this. How many times have I talked about useless statistics and useless stats? I mean, we were talking about this before of like, 
can a pitcher go more than five innings and give up less than five runs or whatever that one ridiculous stat was? And so it's like, we're going to break the record tonight and we'll be known about it forever. And I'm like, no one's going to remember this after this date. Or like the most home runs in the in the month of June yeah. or like the number of consecutive times that Kevin Millar got on bit. Like I just. It's filler. It's I filler content. Care. But we don't need filler content. This team is incredible. We don't need to hang our hat on on not being swept. By the way, not being swept is not an incredible accomplishment. It was to the 2014 Orioles in the ALCS. Yikes. Yikes on bikes. All right, well, with that, let's step aside. And when we come back, I'm, I'm going to need to get some reinforcements here to talk some sense on this podcast. Tonight we're joined by one of our favorite people on the internet, and may I go further to say, one of our favorite people in any media or corporeal experience. Sam Dingman first became known to us as the host of our sister wife podcast, Baltimoreans. Baltimoreans is by far my favorite Orioles podcast, and I am delighted that Sam and co-host Alan Smith have returned to regular production of that fine program. But Sam's creative output does not stop there. No, it goes far beyond that program. He has delighted us with podcast series such as Family Ghosts, but you don't need to take my word for it. It's amazing. And no, this is not Reading Rainbow. I was about to say, that's Reading Rainbow. (laughs) Family Ghosts has been hailed as a critic's choice by NPR, the LA Times, and the New York Times. Another one of his projects, The Rumor, was featured in the Washington Post and New York Magazine, as well as was a Webby honoree for Best Podcast Writing. In addition to notable podcast production, he's the winner of the Moth Grand Slam, and his stories have been featured in Risk, the Moth Radio Hour, the CBC, WBEZ, and WNYC. He's created, written, hosted, produced, produced, and edited podcasts for the Atlantic, Audible, Originals, Gilded Audio, Gimlet Media, Lincoln Center, Panoply Media, Paramount Pictures, Pushkin Industries, Spotify, Slate, Stitcher, and Wondery. Hang on, deep breath. Put simply, he is a storyteller, and it is his unique ability to present and draw us into those stories that makes his current project so very special. Sam is the host of the 45-episode docuseries Sports Explains the World, a series of character studies and stories about the human quest to cope with chaos that unfolds against the backdrop of sports. And if all of that wasn't impressive enough, it's important to remember that Sam and Alan were the very first guests on Bird's Eye View, and I think that will be the first line of his obituary. And so, Sam, welcome to the program, and I just want to start off by saying, why do you have to do all that cool stuff that makes the rest of us look like schmucks? <laughs> well, thank you for the the very kind intro. I, what I want to say is, you know, I, I am in this very fortunate position right now to be hosting this show, Sports Explains the World. But something that I have been thinking about a lot is that all I'm doing on that show is trying to talk about sports, think about sports, um, converse, build community around sports in the exact same way that we've all been doing it on the Sister Wife Orioles podcasts for over 10 years now. Um, I feel like, you know, there's so much podcasting since we all started doing it has become this 
literally billion dollar behemoth industry. And I feel like a lot of the networks that um, I've had the privilege of, of working with are often trying to manufacture something that we've all understood since the beginning, which is that like what matters is loving something and earnestly sharing that love into microphones. And I appreciate what you said about Baltimoreans, but uh, in my opinion, there aren't too many shows that do that better than Bird's Eye View. So Whoa. it is a thrill to be back with you guys. I mean, we are swimming in that billion-dollar industry every episode <laughs> that we release. Um, money <laughs> upon money is the best way to describe it. Uh, but let's get serious yes. here. Let's Joe get ser- Rogan comes comes to your house and um, just to clean. throws a, a wad of cash through your window every morning, right? After you release an episode? Uh, that might be the end of the episode if we're going to bring Joe Rogan up. So, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's just maybe just start right there and, and kind of go into, into the details. Um, you know, we got to start off with our normal stand, standpoint, which is, uh, Sam Dingman, what is your drink of the week? My drink of the week is, um, I was recently introduced to an IPA called Heady Topper. Are you guys familiar? I am with familiar this? with this. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, Hedy Topper, not just the ideal way for Jorge Mateo to beat a pitch into the ground and then sprint down to first base. Um, also one of the crispest, hoppiest, most refreshing India pale ales I've ever consumed. It's got some, a nice centennial hops in there. Um, so yeah, definitely mm-hmm. a, a, a fun um, beverage. Um, yeah, definitely a highly recommended one. So go check it out at your local liquor store. Sam, I've been recording with Scott so long that when you tried to make a segue about the phrase heady topper, I immediately started wincing. I mean, there were various <laughs> things that popped into my mouth, just like a heady topper would, but... All right, I want to talk about your current project in just a second, but first, we have to talk about the Baltimore Orioles. Let me just ask you, how much fun are you having watching the 2023 Birds? Oh my God, I- I'm I'm having the time of my life, and I don't know, are you guys having the experience where... Um, people are congratulating you on yes. their success. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I've been stopped in multiple cities on airplanes. Um, one person wanted to shake my hand for some reason. Yeah. Um, it's extremely weird. Um, it's like, number one, I think we've talked about this before during the buckle of birds era, but like, we're not part of the team. There is no, we <laughs> is the best way to describe it. Um, yeah. it, it, except for Jake, who again was thanked by Dave Wallace for all of his efforts in 2014, um, when he somehow got onto the field, it um, but it, it is, it is weird, um, that, um, individuals will look at individuals like us in our forties, um, and in essence say, yep, I'm going to congratulate them for all the hard work that they had put in to being an Orioles fan. Yeah, it is. It's a surreal thing. And I, I'm genuinely curious to know if this happens to I, I, my theory based on nothing really other than suspicion is that I don't think that's something that happens to fans of like the Cardinals and the Dodgers and um, the Red Sox um, and the Yankees. I think it, but I would be curious to know if it happens to other, you know, mid to small market teams that are only intermittently. Like the Mariners fans from last year, like when the Mariners first got into the playoffs for a while, did, did people go up to Mariners fans and say, Hey, congratulations. You do you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't know. I think there is actually something really, really beautiful about it. And because it, in a way it, it feels to me like this begrudging thing that, you know, stereotypically speaking, male sports fans aren't always good about doing, which is acknowledging the feelings of others. Um, and I feel like inherent in people like us being congratulated for like Gunnar Henderson 
making an insane diving play and leading the Orioles into contention is it's like this implicit way of saying like, yeah, those, um, those, those last five years must've been really rough for you. And I, I, I hope that I see that you're probably having a good time now and, and I hope you're enjoying it. Well, there are so few clubs out there to whom you can go to a fan and say, well, I know that the last time that your team won a World Series was either before you were born or when you were in diapers. So this must be a big moment for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think also, you know, I mean, I'm sure we've all experienced this. Like, you know, if we think back to the Buckle Up Birds era, um, you know, just to speak for myself, most things in my life other than the Orioles were not going well at that time. And like the Orioles were the only thing in my life at that time that felt really good. And similarly, when they started (laughs) to become bad, then it was like, Oh no, I've lost, you know, my one tether to, joy my like one tether to delight and i think anybody who's a sports fan understands how powerful and derailing that that switch can be so when we get to have these moments where somebody says like hey man i'm i'm glad you're feeling it right now um i don't know it's just it's nice it's a nice thing sam we can't allow your life to be filled with joy without drastically increasing payroll (laughs) <laughs> and so it's a thing that we can't know. Uh, you have a you have a a very interesting perspective that we lack, um, <clears throat> which is that you are experiencing this season um, in New York, mm-hmm. um, and you're doing it while um, the New York Yankees and I assume their fans are experiencing um, something of an existential meltdown. And so, yeah. can you just, um, without using the words Schadenfreude? Um, <laughs> or, or singing schadenfreude <laughs> explain to me how how that feels you know um the capacity for denial of yankee fans is endlessly marvelous to me but by which i mean it in the literal sense of i marvel at it because you know you can say a lot of things about orioles fans i'm, I'm not saying that we are a perfect bunch but when our team is bad we don't pretend that our team isn't bad. <laughs> we embrace it. We name it. We laugh about it. We have more heady toppers than we should on weeknights. We come up with parody songs about them and sing them in many, for many, many years. <laughs> exactly. Um, like, and that's, that's, we accept that that's part of the deal. And Yankee fans are convinced that if Aaron, or at least the ones I have interacted with slash seen at Yankee Stadium at the Orioles games I've gone to, they are convinced that if Aaron Judge hadn't hurt his toe and if Anthony Rizzo hadn't bumped into Fernando Tatis Jr., the Yankees would have won 96 games by right now. And they will hear no other, they will hear no argument to the contrary. Even when, like, the truth of what is going on is not just, you know, abundantly clear to those of us who like making Yankee fans feel bad. Like, the the national baseball press is, like, openly saying, like, this team done (laughs) up. The the organizational strategy here has failed. And there is just no acceptance of it. To the point that 
Um, I went to uh, a game earlier this year with a friend of mine who is an athletics fan. Yes, I do know a real-life Oakland athletics fan. <laughs> for now. Um, for now, yeah. Uh, he did spend most of the game uh, quizzing me or having me tell him about uh, how to become an Orioles fan because he's fed up, understandably. But That poor soul. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Um, but as we're walking out of the game, this is a game that the Orioles lost. Uh, some people will remember this because it was a rare occasion. Bautista blew a save, gave up a home run to Aaron Judge in the ninth inning, um, and the Yankees ended up winning. So, I, I do not accept the validity of that report. <laughs> it is, I mean, you know, it's uh, like like a a Fuji fastball that finds the zone. It is rarely seen in the wild. Um, but, uh, you know, so as we're walking out of the stadium, these Yankee fans should have every reason to be feeling good. Now I'm standing there in my Orioles hat and Jersey. My friend is standing there in his athletics Jersey and they start screaming at him. Like, how dare you wear that in green and yellow in the Bronx, like uh, da, 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 all this stuff. And, you guys have known me for a long time. I'm not a violent person. I'm not an angry person. I turned around and said to these dudes, like, what is wrong with you? You just won. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you picking on this guy whose team was eliminated from playoff contention on April 30th? <laughs> like <laughs> this guy who's not going to have a team as of next year in reality. <laughs> yes. Like how deep is your need for superiority that that something like that has to happen. So I, I regret to inform you that they have not changed. That is, that is disappointing. Yeah. All right. So we we're talking about the Baltimore Orioles. Um, and you know, we have to ask this question to you, how far can this team go in your opinion? Listen, um, I was just texting with Alan yesterday. Um, you mean, you the, mean you guys don't just talk on the show? No, um, I don't want to freak anybody out, but we have been known to hang out in real life and not even talk about baseball. So we have to subscribe to you on Patreon in order to get con that information in further podcasts, correct? Uh, it's OnlyFans, not Patreon. OnlyFans. Only of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> um, so we were, you know, the Tom Verducci piece came out that said, like, this could be a, I'm not even going to say it, um, team. And Alan texted me, um... I do not acknowledge <laughs> phrases that rhyme with um, curled drearies <laughs> <laughs> until December. And I, I was like, that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're not talking about uh, unfurled beeries. <laughs> like, it, it, all I'm saying is that we have gotten insanely superstitious about it. And I don't know if you guys are feeling the same way. That said... With every passing week, our ability to, you know, I, I think we can all acknowledge that there are things we wish this team did better, but there are so few teams that this, uh, I'm sorry, so few things that this team does badly, and it feels like the number of things that we sometimes do badly is getting smaller on a week-to-week -week basis. Like every week, the starting pitchers are figuring out how to work later in the game. Every week, our batting average with runners in scoring position goes up. 
Um, every week, it seems like we hide tweaks the defensive alignment just so, so that we've never, we don't ever have somebody, you know, playing where they shouldn't be playing with the game on the line. There has been no discernible implosion in our late inning stability since the Bautista injury, which at this point is two weeks old. And we've had a lot of close games since then. Like, um, those are positive signs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. I think that's what everyone feels like. And, you know, I don't, I'm going to say it, you know, Sam, because it's, it's true. I mean, the Orioles are going to the playoffs this year. I mean, it's a hundred percent chance unless, you know, yep. unless something like, you know, like a plane crashes, basically the Orioles are going to go uh, to it. So again, we, we all know now that a plane is going to crash is the best way to put it. Um, but again, if you're looking at this team and they're going to be in the playoffs, again, the playoffs are a completely different standpoint than the regular season. Um, what do you think is the team's biggest strengths and biggest risk in a playoff scenario? Well, I mean, you know, everybody, seems to when they write about the Orioles point to the the weakness of the starting the supposed weakness of the starting pitching sure but the fact is since July we have had some of the best starting pitching in all of baseball yep um and that is a sustainable trend at this point and if you look at the way Bradish is pitching right now and you look at the way Grayson is pitching right now and you know they're pitching like aces. I'll take Dean Kramer as my number three in that rotation. And that gets us a good bit of the way through a playoff series. So I'm not really worried about that as a weakness so much. Um, I think the only thing that really concerns me is our um, passion for playing, uh, for coming from behind. <laughs> we, uh, we do seem to really, really enjoy letting the other team build up a little bit of a lead. And then in the eighth inning, just um, harvesting a bumper crop of runs. So you're saying um, that uh, you're afraid that the Orioles knack of flair um, and their ability to craft stories is potentially their greatest weakness. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I see, uh, I see a lot of myself. In that. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why people come up to you and congratulate you. Cause they're just like, that person's got a lot of flair and he looks like he's a comeback artist. I'm going to go ahead and congratulate him. <laughs> Because clearly he is the strength that the Orioles are resonating from. <laughs> yes. Well, and if my adulthood is anything, it's a comeback story. So. <laughs> you know, one problem that I wouldn't say maybe on the field um, we've seen, but we'll call it off the field, uh, Baltimoreans in general have had a lot to talk about. Uh, and that's the problem of John Angelos. Uh, yeah. Tell me, Sam, um, in being a Baltimorean fan, um, you know, how do we deal with, uh, with a problem like, like John, John Angelos. I mean, uh, this is honestly th the only thing about this season that makes me really deeply sad because th they're, the only way to deal with it is to hope that he um, decides to not be a malignant prick <laughs> um, because he seems so hell-bent on being that. I mean, he's clearly delusional and thinks that uh, the state is just going to give him even more money than they've already promised to give him. And um, despite the fact that every indication is that the state is like, no, we're not doing that, John. <laughs> um, he seems to just like 
think that's going to happen and see fit to hold our collective sports hopes and dreams hostage uh, while he waits for this um, unfathomable outcome. And that is so deeply depressing that we're dealing with a megalomaniac like that um, because as we have learned from having a country run by such a person, that's how they are and nothing changes it. Um, I feel like we have entered into Baltimoreans territory now since if we're going to get into (laughs) Baltimoreans territory in terms of, uh, you know, discussing the, the woes of the country as it were and egomaniacs on that basis. uh, I think, you know, we've got to take a brief pause and just say, thank you. Thanks for coming back to the airwaves. Thanks for doing what you and Alan do for the regular production. Um, but we have to ask you this. Can you promise us, and I need you, you know, can't cross your fingers or anything like that. Can you promise us that you're never going to leave us again? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, don't, I, I don't, don't stutter here. Just say yes. The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know, I know you're a storyteller. Y E S. Just say it. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, storytellers resist pat answers. That's um, true. Uh, I, the, Sam, we're the offering that, you six hundred million dollars. Just sign the lease, okay? You think could I get like three hundred million more? Um, <laughs> you know what? We'll give it consideration. Is the best way to put it. All right, all right. I mean, the thing that I have been feeling, not to speak for Alan, is like you know we have this tagline like the home of the all weather fan, but we didn't keep podcasting when the going got tough. Um, and others, you know, you guys in 336 in particular are the ones that kept the flame alive. So, um, we're grateful that we have been accepted back into the sister wife circle and, you know, to get, um, sincere for a second, I think that the really big difference for me about, um, doing Baltimoreans this year than in years past is even though Alan and I live really close to each other because of the difference in the ways our, our lives are set up. Um, it's harder for us to see each other on as regular of a basis. And one thing that the show ends up being is a way to just make sure that like me and one of my dearest friends get to hang out for an hour every week, like face to face and talk about something that we love. And so to be honest with you, uh, that makes me even more inclined to keep it going, you know, uh, on into the future, no matter what happens with the Orioles, because I think I'm realizing how important it is to me um, in a way that I, I didn't even realize when we first started it. I, I definitely get that. That's a, a, a big driver of this show as well. Just so you can talk to yeah. Sam and, and Alan, right? <clears throat> yeah. I'm just, yeah. you know, a, a fourth wheel at this point. You're, you're just a vehicle. You guys have your three wheels on your tricycle just rolling around town. And I'm here with my fourth wheel being like, I'd like to get on the tricycle. Guys, yeah. this is why you have to start an OnlyFans because then you get a second hour a week. Um, and, you know, people pay you money. You, you got to do things. Uh, <laughs> Sam, you, you understand how this works a little too well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of all that work, if you insert the money into the slot. Special things happen. Speaking of all that work you're doing right now, uh, I listened to the fourth episode of Sports Explains the World, which is of course entitled "Good Company," and I loved it immensely. Um, and so, I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about how that program came to be, and then uh, when you're finished, I'm going to pester you with questions about that particular episode. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, it's that is a project that um, 
I have uh, wanted to do for years and years and years, and uh, that is really meaningful to me. Um, I will, however, tell you that it was born of petty outrage. <laughs> Let me as, explain. As all good programs are. <laughs> yes. It's where all journalism comes from, really, I think. Um, I got really annoyed. Uh, like, honestly, it was just last year when I listen to the Orioles primarily on the radio these days because I tend to be on the move for work a lot. And so I'm not often in a I'm in the car a lot um, during games. And so I listen to the radio. I love listening to games on the radio. It's how I've always loved it. It's how I became a fan in the first place. And I got super annoyed because a couple years ago, Major League Baseball sold the ad rights to the internet streams of the radio broadcasts to this company called Odyssey. And Odyssey, uh, instead of just playing whatever the ad that would air on the local broadcast that you're tuned into is, cuts away from the radio broadcast and plays these digital ads that are supposedly optimized for your local experience. So even though I'm listening to the Orioles um, – I don't hear ads for Baltimore stuff between innings or during pitching changes. I hear ads for New York stuff and whatever. That's fine. I, I you know, you, you I know, it's really mostly love... bread and uh, men's uh, shorts being cut off for bathing suit purposes, right? <laughs> yes. But I also really loved, you know, like it was a little reminder of home to hear Royal Farms ads uh, from afar. Um, but whatever, you know, I get that uh, there is a business interest in airing localized advertising. I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is when they made that change, there seems to be something in the deal that they made that the Odyssey ads that are inserted have to play through to completion, even if that means uh, that they don't cut back to the broadcast of the game when the game resumes. So what was happening very frequently was it would be the end of the top of the third these odyssey ads would play and then by the time they got back to the broadcast there were already two outs hmm. and i was so offended by that because that would that just wouldn't happen on tv because there is a conception in our culture that tv time is precious they would choke our eyeballs with ads on the screen while they were showing us the game but they 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 understand that what is really, really precious is people sitting and watching the game. Um, and I felt like the way that they were treating the radio broadcast was an insult to the incredible companionship and uh, emotional potency of listening to a game on the radio. And once I realized that I felt that way, <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought, you know, uh, it's probably not long before this medium disappears entirely. Um, given the way that it's being treated by corporate interests right now. And before that happens, I would like to try to investigate uh, for myself, at least what's really special about baseball on the radio and um, try to understand the artistry of my, my favorite practitioners of, of play by play. Yeah. It, it's really uh, gratifying to hear somebody else talk about baseball on the radio as being a thing that is special and worth preserving. I, I, I found a lot of my own experience in listening to that episode, and I think everybody should should stop listening to this show. Go and listen <laughs> to episode four, particularly of Sports Explains the World, and then the rest of them, and then uh, come back uh, for the rest of this show. But um, so you they're going to leave the show, listen to Sam, and then come back and listen to more Sam. I would. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> 
But but baseball <laughs> on the radio is is uh, what made me fall in love with the game. It also yeah. was a, an important piece of my relationship with my maternal grandfather, who I, mm-hmm. I you know trace my my love of baseball to. I also somewhere <clears throat> in a uh, in a closet in in a house in Florida have um, tapes of my nine year old self calling fake baseball games. Um, Jake, release the tapes. Oh yeah. I, uh, so the next time we we get down there to uh, empty out my my grandfather's old house, um, I'm I cannot going. wait to hear Jake do play by play call about Mike Devereaux uh, and yes. Jeff Rabelais. It's going to be incredible. Um, Jeffrey Hammonds, yep. maybe little Hammonds in there. Yep. But I, I'm continually blown away by how spoiled we are. Um, you know, over the last <laughs> forty years. Um, the on the field product has not perhaps been the the best, but in the sixty years, just the mere sixty years that the Orioles have been in existence, we have been blessed by some of the best voices in the game on the radio. Um, yeah. You know, from Chuck Thompson uh, to John Miller, um, and, and I think Joe Angel uh, fits in that group as well. And and you oh, know, yeah. growing up with Fred Manfra, I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, and you got to talk to some of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And when I tell you that, um, you know, I, uh, I have a conflicted relationship with my identity as a journalist because, um, I have a hard time keeping my feelings out of stories as will be evident from the opening lines of good company. (laughs) Um, but I do, you know, I, I try to go into my interviews with, um, people who, no matter who they are with an extreme amount of preparation and a plan and a roadmap for, um, what the conversation is going to be built around and, and how I'm going to use the time. Cause I don't want them to feel like I'm wasting their time, but you know, it's a cliche. We've all seen the, the Chris Farley sketch where he plays the interviewer and he talks to, you know, Paul McCartney and he's like, Hey, remember when you were in the Beatles? <laughs> that was awesome. I was Chris Farleying all over myself <laughs> in these conversations because the, the bond that you build with those voices is so powerful mm-hmm. like it is just you know um I, I was actually just talking with josh from section 336 about this like in a lot of cases we would take these voices to bed with us you know mm-hmm. like you're I've, I've heard from so many people since the piece came out and this is an experience i had certainly growing up your parents would tell you you had to go to bed when you were a kid and you had to turn off the game and you'd be like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll turn off the, I'll turn off the game. <laughs> and you would go up to your bedroom, and you would have a radio up there, and you would turn the volume on really low, and and put John Miller, Fred Manfred's voice on, and put it like literally next yep. to you in bed, and and we, so that you know their voice would be telling you the story as you fell asleep. And we call those I mean, white noise machines now, basically, where people, in essence, <laughs> you know, pay lots of money, and even for you know subscription plans in order to do it, but. You know, I think it's so elegant in terms of when, how you started this in terms of you said the transitions into each inning is an incredibly important one. And I think that's a really important aspect as it relates to radio, because I completely agree with you. And me and Jacob talked about this, just like you're saying, like, I remember many a nights just going into my room, turning the radio on as low as I possibly could hear. And I know my parents couldn't hear it because, you know, they were partially deaf, probably by going to too many, like. (laughs) Grateful Dead or Jethro Tull concerts um, in their day. Um, but I was able to hear it and in essence fall asleep um, to that little bit of white noise of like not just the announcers talking, but the murmuring and the little slight yes. roar of, of the of the crowd. 
Um, and it's a, it's a, it, it's a certain aspect when I sit down with my kids and listen to it on the radio now, or I sit down with, with my wife and listen to it on the radio. It's a skill and an art that maybe has been lost on the generations where they can't keep up with the radio. Like what just happened? And I can immediately paint the picture. And I think that's what is yeah. so interesting, yeah. um, is how radio paints a, paints something in your mind's eye. Um, and, and how, you know, if that will continue on in future generations. Can, yeah. I'm, I mean, the foundational experience for me, just to resonate with you, Scott, is, and, and this is really what the, the piece opens with, is I have, my first memory of baseball isn't being at a baseball game, isn't like holding a baseball. It's sitting at the kitchen table and watching my dad stare at the negative space above a radio that he kept on the counter, looking out the window as John Miller's voice was telling him the story and realizing even at a very young age, like he's seeing the game mm-hmm. in his mind just outside the window because of what this man is saying. It's like a magic trick. I, I was, I was such a big dork that I would, um, when I was real little, was? I, <laughs> I would, uh, go to bed, listen to the, the game on the radio. And if, you know, it was a West coast game or, you know, whatever. And I would fall asleep before the game was over, I would, I would, uh, try to tape the end of the game or at least, you know, 45 (laughs) minutes of a cassette that I could get. And then I would listen to it in the morning as I got ready for school and, and try to finish the tape before I would check the box. Listen, I'm just going to say this right now, Alex fast. If you're listening, this is the perfect excuse to go after Jake English and, you know, basically bring down the full force of MLB content. If Jake English was (laughs) recording 1990s uh, baseball games onto a tape cassette, that's got to be worth millions these days. Those baseball cards are worth nothing, but Jake English recording Orioles baseball games onto a cassette tape had to be worth millions. There were no (laughs) accounts. There were no descriptions. There was definitely accounts. There was definitely descriptions. So... um, Again, as long I, as as long as you didn't disseminate them. Oh, that, that's true. I'm about to say I don't think Jake has disseminated almost anything in his life. Um, is the best <laughs> way to put it. Um, let, let's talk about maybe the current crop of announcers that are, are currently blessing uh, Birdland at this given time. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you think they kind of compare with voices of Birdland past? Oof, tricky question. Um, I mean, I love if if we're thinking about radio, um, I think Jeff Arnold does a fantastic job. Um, I'm a Brett Hollander fan. I think, uh, you know, I have this sort of arbitrary classification in my mind of types of broadcaster. You've got your observers, you've got your declarers, and you've got your wonderers. Um, and just to kind of, we're going to pause for a second really quickly on this one aspect. So you give me three categories there. Uh, same thing. I mean, which one of those are you? Uh, well, I think I would, I, I think when I have imitated broadcasts, no, 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 no. We're, we're not talking about imitating broadcasts. We're just saying in your general life, if you had to write a, a, a biography to say like, Hey, I'm Sam Dingman. This is who I am. Uh, what oh, category right. would you put yourself into? Yeah, if I've just invented a new like Myers Briggs. Absolutely, uh, exactly. Yeah, I'm a wanderer for sure. I I am a wanderer. I love mystery. Uh, I embrace uncertainty. Um, the idea that uh, the story would ever end or that difficult questions have uncomfortable answers, I resist as much as possible. I'm a wanderer, definitely. All right. It, what about it, you guys? Uh, what were the three categories again? 
you got your observers, your declarers, and your wonderers. Yeah, so I'm definitely an observer uh, on that basis mm-hmm. of like I will, in essence, observe the situation and then comment on it um, in, in a manner that you know I see so fit. But as much as I, I would love to be a wonderer in a, in, a, in a kind of creative aspect, I think I'm going to be an observer, and I think that tends to my introverted nature. Ah. See, now I'm just the opposite. I'm I'm the extreme extrovert, and I. Will occasionally um, open your, your extrovert with an exclamation point. Open my mouth without <laughs> um, having thought it all the way through. So I'm definitely a declarer. Oh, there's no question about it. You're declarer in bold yeah. italics under underline everything. Sam, yeah. is is it wrong for me to say that I think that Brett Hollander is this generation's Jim Hunter? No, I, I think that is a, a very apt comparison. Like uh, Brett Hollander, textbook declarer. Um, I feel like uh, he, he uh, is guided by passion. Um, he is like uh, favors emotion over analysis. Um, he is like uh, shares his excitement um and uh that like wears it all on his sleeve and um i think is it very much views himself as like an emotional antenna for the fan who who is not present in the ballpark and i i think jim hunter was the same way i i will say you know apologies jim um i i never really cared for jim's work on tv um because it was so there was so much emotion in it, but it's what made him great as a radio broadcaster. Um, because I felt like in, in radio, I needed him to paint to be this. Yes, exactly. To be a painter and, um, an impressionist, you know, if we're going to extend the metaphor Correct. even further, um, he, he was so good at that. And on TV, it always felt a little extra, if you will. Um, but on radio, it was perfect. That's really interesting because I feel like, and maybe this was, some of my negative emotions about the team in general during his tenure. But I felt like on television, Jim Hunter could be trusted because I could see it with my own eyes. But Mm. on the radio, when he would extol the effort that an infielder made and yet the ball went by, I thought to myself, really? Well, that's because ownership told him to paint it in a positive picture. Right. Right. (laughs) And we, and, and we that, do have to run an Angelos filter on all of this, right. unfortunately. <laughs> and that and that kind of you know draws us into the whole Kevin Brown thing, um, which is yeah. I I enjoy his work so very much, um, mm-hmm. and I hope that uh, you know I hope that the scuffles with the ownership group does not uh, rob us of the opportunity to hear him call you know meaningful Orioles games for years to come. Yeah, I mean Kevin is uh, I think that rare combination of. You know, I think I, I love Jeff Arnold. I love Brett Hollander. I love Melanie Newman. Um, I feel like there is an X factor that Kevin has that is just unfair, and that I think you know Manfred had and and Miller had, mm-hmm. um, which is like he just has this voice that sounds like bread rising in an oven. <laughs> you know, there is a warmth to it. There is like a, a honeyed roundness to his voice that doesn't feel like an affect. It's just when he starts talking, you just have the sense that his voice 
contains all the possible emotions that could come up in a baseball game. And there are broadcasters who have that voice, but act, but don't have any talent for broadcasting. Mm -hmm. Like Joe Buck, I think is an example (laughs) of this. Um, I mean, I would, I would go as far as Sam Dingman. He doesn't have the talent for it, but he's got the voice for it. Basically people, many people, many people have been saying, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you listen for the first time. I was like, man, this guy sounds really good. And then you listen for, you know, 30 minutes and you're like, what the hell did I just listen to? <laughs> this guy is you know, such a wanderer. It's like, yeah, it's like an audio croissant. Uh, there's many layers. <laughs> it, it, it's puffy, but there's not that much, uh, not that much chocolate in there. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm getting hungry uh, talking about men's voices. Um, so let me take that to a different place, which is this, um, you know, sports explains the world really seems to be right in your wheelhouse stylistically and, and an emotional tone. And uh, so I'd I'd like to just kind of peel the curtain back and and ask you, you know, why do you find this kind of program to be so compelling, not only to consume, but to create? And what draws you to create shows like this? Well, I appreciate that question very much. And um, I have to say, uh, you know, for me, it, it all goes back to this idea that we were talking about a minute ago, which is that we loved baseball games so much that we took them to bed with us um when we were kids like it it gave us that amount of security in the maelstrom of childhood to feel like we could have this story as a companion um in our most intimate vulnerable moments and there is a version of that that exists in every sport um a way in which the the sport is a vector of sense making for people in a world that makes no sense and um that's really like why we love sports you know we can tell ourselves that it's because it's exhilarating to see athletes do extraordinary physical things and sure it is um we can tell ourselves that it's about community Sure, it is. Um, we can tell ourselves all kinds of. Uh, we can tell ourselves it's because we like, you know, winning money when we place bets on things. Sure, all those things are great, but what it's really about is this special capacity of sports, like other things, to make a meaningless world make sense. And I think that it's important to talk about that because sports is very often used as a divider in our culture. Um, it's very often used as a way, you know, we were joking about Joe Rogan at the beginning of the podcast. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of people who associate sports with people like Joe Rogan, like who, uh, have a sort of, a you know, for lack of a better word, like meathead idea that the physically strong, um, are worthy of more attention and that those of us who, um, align ourselves with that are automatically uh, somehow worth more in society, and it creates resentment from the vast majority of people, understandably, who are not, you know, physical specimens, and feel like it's uh, a world that they're excluded from. And that, in my experience, that just couldn't be further from the truth. Um, it, it's it's not a thing that makes some people more human than others. It's something that is is an illustration of the humanity that we all share. And so if I can be a part of storytelling that advances and celebrates 
that narrative about sports, then I want to I want to do that every day of the week. Well, uh, you do it so well, and it is a delight to hear uh, the stories that you spin and the the art that you create. Um, and so I, I'd just like to give you a second to uh, tell everybody who's listening where we can find you, what we should be looking for. Thanks, guys. Uh, I really appreciate that. And um, Sports Explains the World is available now uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, anywhere else. And I, I just want to say that I, I think something that's really special about Sports Explains the World is, you know, our little tagline for it is it's 30, 30 for 30 meets This American Life, um, which is to say long form narrative nonfiction storytelling about sports, but with the humanistic values of a show like This American Life. Um, but the other thing it is like This American Life is that it comes out every week. Uh, this is, a, as Jake mentioned at the beginning, a 45 episode series. Um, and what we're doing um, is unheard of in podcasting. Uh, there's this big divide when in narrative podcasting between weekly talk shows like Baltimoreans and Bird's Eye View um, that tend to come out every week and limited run series like your S Towns and Serials and stuff. Um, and both of those are great types of shows, but there is this thought in in the podcast industry, um, which again is ridiculous that those are words that exist in the same sentence um that it's just not feasible to do really high quality long-form narrative storytelling on a weekly basis and i can't take credit for this it's meadowlark media and campsite media who are the the producing organizations of sports explains the world they figured out a way to do it and to put the energy and money and um professionals um you know reporters producers editors sound designers behind it to to make that happen and so I, I think more than just the stories, it's like a statement about um, of what what this medium can do for this kind of storytelling. Um, and so if any of those things are meaningful to you, uh, please subscribe and, and listen to the stories. And, you know, these are these are amazing stories, whether you're like a polyglot sports fan or whether you are like me candidly mostly just a baseball fan um the story that we came out with this week notionally is about basketball um but it doesn't really have a lot to do with basketball it's about this guy who um was fired from his job as a university professor in uh the 60s i think it was the 60s uh because he had a beard and the administration thought he was a communist <laughs> Uh, so he ends up getting recruited by the CIA and sent to Uganda to cultivate Russian assets um, to, you know, rat out the Soviet Union. And um, in the course of doing that becomes the head coach of the Ugandan national basketball team, which means he has to like forge this weird alliance with Idi Amin um, and, you know, try to help people escape uh this brutal murderous regime um so yeah like basketball's in there <laughs> but, I, I just find your description to be so quaint when i think about how boring history used to be in comparison to our modern day hellscape yeah right so true so sadly true um but speaking of our modern hellscape we also have a story coming uh up in a couple weeks about a um, Ukrainian tennis player who uh, was good enough that he at one point beat Roger Federer at the height of Federer's powers, um, went into retirement and has now um, come out of retirement to go to the front and fight 
for the Ukrainian army to resist the the Russian attempt to uh, invade the country. Um, so again, you know, like that's another one where that story ends up being about like how we sometimes kind of irresponsibly use war metaphors when we talk about sports, particularly with football. Um, and that the, the two things like actually don't have anything to do with each other. And we should really think more carefully about that. So anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now, but it, um, I just want to emphasize there's, there's a lot to the series, um, that might not be immediately evident if you just think like, Oh, a sports docuseries, like, um, we're really trying to do something different than, than the other sports shows out there. All right. Last question. Like we do every interview, Beatles or stones, stones, always stones. Oh, Sam. <laughs> we, 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 honestly, Jake, we can't leave the interview like that. No, no. We, we have not asked the most important question, Sam, that we could possibly ask in this moment. And so I have to ask you. Okay. What would you call former <laughs> Orioles outfield prospect Henry Rudia when he goes back in time and joins an Irish rock band in Dublin in 1976, a band that has still perhaps not yet found what it has been looking for? Oh, um, I, I, I think you might call him Henry U2 Rudia. And good night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sam, it is delightful, uh, to catch up with you again. It is delightful to hear you each week, uh, with Alan, uh, putting baseball and Orioles baseball in its proper perspective on Baltimoreans. And again, um, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed, uh, good company, and I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the Sports Explains the World um, series. So thanks for doing this. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you so much. And um, if you need any pointers on setting up your OnlyFans, just uh, just send me an email. You will be my second call. <laughs> yeah, call Alan first. <laughs> All right, Jake, let's go ahead and go around the bases. Let's start with first base. It is September 6th, Jake, and uh, this is a a big day in Orioles history. We've got monumental 2131 that has occurred this day. Yeah, and it's incredible to think just how long ago that was at this point. It does. I mean, uh, Cal was on a, a previous wife. Um, Ryan Ripken was, you know, not a uh, noted uh, sports personality in Baltimore. Um, and you know, Kevin Costner was nowhere to be seen. What is that? 28 years ago at this point? Does that sound right? 25, right? No, wait, no, it's not 20. It's 27, 27 years ago. That's, that's a long time. It is a long time. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody knows exactly where they were on 2131. Everyone in Baltimore claims to have been the building for 2131, uh, it's a shame that the Orioles are not home for this day. I, I love the, the celebration of 2131. I think, I think there should be a 2131 day every season. Well, that's if it was a Yankees player or a Red Sox player, that would definitely be the case. But for an Orioles player, no such dice. But, 
You know, September 6th does have other fun moments, specifically the cow statue game from 2012 um, being being one of the great ones where, again, coming back and talking about the Yankees, um, you know, that was a great way to, in essence, you know, f- kind of come out of the dark ages, as it were, and say, we're here. Um, we're not going to let, you know, the Yankees, in essence, you know, pull the magic on us, is the best way to describe it. Um, and in essence, you know, the Orioles were basically saying, we're going to compete this year and we're going to try to get to the playoffs. The line must be drawn here, here, and no further. Uh, it was a it was a defining moment of the Buckle Up Birds era, I think, that that cow statue game. So I, I agree with that, too. And again, let's not, you know, forget also that Senator six also was Eddie Murray's 500-inch home run, home run uh, the year after 2131. Um, so, yeah, like I said, a lot of fun moments on this given date in Orioles history. Um, so just a tip of the cap to that. This this game here against the Angels has a lot to live up to. It's true. And during the 21-31 game, the Orioles did play the Angels um, during that series as well. I think the Angels will stand and applaud when uh, when the Orioles win this evening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's go to second base really quickly. Um, Jake, is it my imagination or are things a little testy right now on Orioles Twitter? We've talked about this before. Yeah, I, I, I do feel that way. I mean, the Orioles are playing, you know, over 600 baseball, and I can't understand why people aren't having more fun. So I think people are having fun. Um, I think people are having fun. I think everyone is really enjoying um, the team in general. I think this is kind of similar to what we just talked with Sam. I think everyone is, in essence, learning how to baseball once again. Um, and I think also... People are a little anxious waiting for the shoe to drop. I mean, we were we were talking to Sam, and Sam was just like, I don't want to say certain words because I'm acting superstitious. And I feel like even in this moment, we're watching the third game of the Angels series, and people are like, well, the Rays won tonight. The Orioles have to win this evening to keep pace. And it's just like, but if the Orioles don't win, let's just hypothetically say they don't win tonight, and they, they go two out of three against the, the Angels— and, um, you know, the Rays would have gone two or three against the Red Sox. In reality, this comes back to kind of a little tweet that I made earlier this week is like the Rays are racing against games at this point. You know, having a two and a half game lead um, and then in essence, the Orioles having the potential tiebreaker as well, as long as the Orioles win one game in that series in Baltimore, the Orioles have a lot going on their side. And that does not guarantee them anything. Um, but there's a lot of positive momentum that if you look at it and saying the Rays in essence have to keep the streak going of, you know, 630 baseball for the rest of the season. And the Orioles have to play 540 baseball uh, for the remainder of the season. And then a lot of people also pointed out that the strength of schedule is going to be completely different. So, I mean, you look at this upcoming weekend, as it were, in terms of the Rays going to play the Mariners for four games and us playing against the Red Sox for three games. And you say to yourself, Things could happen, but it seems like people are living and dying on every game, almost like it's football season. I I know that I know that these games matter. They matter. It, it's not that they. It's not that I don't think that they matter. And I get upset when like they lose and yeah. they, like they drop a game. I'm like, oh, that stinks. And I go in the next day to to where I almost said school. Jesus, <laughs> my gosh, I'm thinking <laughs> I've reverted back to my childhood after talking to Sam. Um, but again, I I kind of go in and I'm a little bit you know, less upbeat. Whereas when you pick up a game against the Rays, you're kind of like, we got this. I got this. It's all good on that basis. But 
I think, you know, people are going to have to not stress about it um, for, for this, this, this given, given, you know, matter, especially too, when it gets into the playoffs again, can you imagine, I'll go back to a young sky Magnus. Um, and I think back to ALDS game one for 2012. And I remember losing that first game. And I thought to myself, it's over. Uh, it's not going to happen. Everything is going against us. Jim Johnson blew a lead. Um, yada, yada, yada. I don't think he blew the lead. I think he just blew, you know, the save in terms of a hold. Um, but we have to look at this and say, like, if the Orioles get into a five-game series and they lose their first game, we've got to have, you know, faith that this team has shown resilience the entire season. So what makes us think that they're not going to show resilience in a stretch of a playoff series? Yeah, and, and the other thing is that we have been treated to excellent play and we're not entitled to perfection. I think that for me is the thing. Like yeah. we have become in such a short period of time with whiplash accustomed to excellence. And now we just expect it at every moment. Yeah. Uh, and so, so we talked about this earlier in the season. Don't turn into Yankees fans because that's the mentality of a Yankees fan of like, it's owed to us that if we go against a, ba- a worst team, that that worst team should in essence curtail to us and say, well, we're the better team. We should win automatically. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird. And I think, again, I think people are learning how to baseball again, um, where in essence, you know, playing a 600 winning percentage, everyone should be you know, super happy right now. Um, and yes, it'd be great to win the division. Yes, it'd be great to have the one seed. In fact, I think the Orioles have to get it. Um, but if it doesn't happen, yeah. It happens, and as long as you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And we've seen that in the previous years. Take a look at the Phillies. I still come back to whoever gets hot is going to be the team to beat. Um, and right now, I'd say the Orioles are one of the hottest teams in Major League Baseball. Um, so let's keep up the pace is the best way to put it. Here, here. Let's uh, move on to third base. I want to talk about D.L. Hall. Yeah. And I want to talk about D.L. Hall specifically in his adjustment to being a reliever this this season. Sure. And we've seen D.L. Hall act as a reliever before for the Baltimore Orioles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit different this year. I mean, he became in, you know, he was scheduled to basically be a starter uh, potentially at the beginning of the season. And that obviously didn't work out. But now D.L. is being offered the chance to basically come back, contribute for the team in essence, fill that gap of Felix Batista, you know, no longer being in the bullpen. And I think it's been really interesting to watch him, um, you know, you know, work on his command. Command has always been the issue from a D.L. Hall standpoint. And I think it's also been really interesting to see some of his comments that he has made to the press as well in terms of him saying, I'm here to do what I've been asked to do. I don't really care about the aspect of starting pitching versus relief pitching. Whatever I can do to contribute, I'm here for. So, Again, it seems very much like that clubhouse culture that we've seen other guys demonstrate. Um, but yeah, I think the big question from a DL Hall standpoint is going to be the stuff is there. There's no doubt about it. You can watch him and you're like, he's got the stuff. The question is, can he be consistent enough? And I'm talking about, you know, caper walk rate um, in a playoff scenario. Does he have that it factor that when 45 or 50,000 people are screaming their lungs out? that he's going to be able to silence it in essence pitching. I don't know if we know that. I don't, I don't think honestly we know that for almost any of our pitchers at this moment. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, 
if they break is the best way to describe it, or if they thrive in those given situations. And we talked about this last week. I think Cano's going to thrive in those situations. I don't know anybody else who's going to thrive in those situations. Grayson will probably thrive in those situations. Um, Bradish will probably thrive in those situations. Kramer will probably thrive in those situations. Um, but in the bullpen, I don't know. Do you think the deal Hall is a reliever from here on out, or do you think he'll be given the opportunity to start in the future? I think he'll be given the opportunity to start. Um, I, I, I mean, I've, I've said this before in, pre, in previous situations of like, I do think DL Hall is probably a reliever on a long-term basis. I just don't see him as, I just don't see him as a great starting pitcher. Um, so I feel like he could be a starter. Um, but I feel like I'm going to put him in like that Britain category where people are always like, well, he could start, but he could also be in the relief role. So I'm kind of, you know, I think they'll give him a shot to begin next year and let him kind of work up to it. Um, and I think the real question is, you know, I think D.L. Hall will get thrust into a star spot if the Orioles don't go out and sign somebody else, which if <laughs> I love your use of the word when, if. when, um, or they don't trade for somebody else, which would be maybe another standpoint, but um, right now, I mean, I'd classify DL as a reliever until I see him in essence, be able to pitch for an extended period of time. He's a reliever in my head. Okay. Uh, turning around third and heading to home. I just want to, I want to, uh, exp- uh, explore a little thought experiment here. Um, Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Great baseball player. Great. Is it my imagination? Second time we'll have asked that during this uh, around the bases segment. Is it my imagination, or is Adley kind of running under the radar as Gunnar Henderson lights the world on fire in his Rookie of the Year campaign? Yes. And do you think that's a good thing for Adley Rutschman? I don't think he cares. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he cares. I think he's under the radar for myself. Like I would look at it right now and say, Gunnar. It's head and above Adley, no questions asked. If I were to say, who do you want in a in a, in a, in a pivotal at bat, Adley or Gunner? I would say, I want Gunner. Um, and I know what you're going to do. And it's interesting because if you look at the stats of Adley versus Gunner, Adley's probably slightly better in terms of consistency from an OBP standpoint, from an average standpoint. From a K minus walk rate and everything standpoint, Gunner certainly has had some boomerang hits, more extra base hits, more home runs um, than Adley. But Adley has been the consummate consistency um, at the plate. But in my mind, in terms of the under the radar standpoint, I would still say Gunner, even though the math doesn't doesn't add up. Is the best way to put it. It's so weird. I- Adley had a great week, and I don't, want, I don't want to steal any thunder from Good, Bad, and the Ugly, but Adley had such a great week this week, and mm. I was surprised. Yeah. You know, Adley Adley had a 166 weighted Ooh. runs created plus. Wow. All right? Um, and when you look at that, in comparison, Gunnar Henderson had a very good week at 136 weighted runs yeah. created plus. And, and, you know, you look at that and you say— 166 in any week would pretty much win good, bad, and the ugly for us, basically. Right. We'd be like, okay, that person is good for this week. But but it kind of sneaks up on me. And I don't know if it's where he's hitting in the lineup. I don't know if it's if it's the recency bias uh-huh. of, of Gunner coming up. But, you know, you look at that. Yes, all of the stats you just mentioned, m- much better with Adley Rutschman. And, again, one of the things that I look at, he's doing that with a low, a much lower BABIP. Yeah. Which, you know, is, it speaks to more uh, consistency. 
I, for me, and, I, and again, this is this is a stupid stat, and I'm going to bring it up on this basis, and I'm going to say it's it's a stupid stat. Um, is when I think Gunner, I oftentimes think multi RBI, mm. and when I think Adley, I think RBI, but spraying a single opposite field, and in essence, progressing the runners and stuff like that. Adley is like the catalyst. It's the standpoint of like he, in essence, is basically spurring and turning over the lineup in order to get to the Gunner in order to get to the Santander and stuff like that. So like he's in essence turning over that bottom of the lineup in order to basically have Gunner have that big hit or Santander to have that big hit. So it's weird because it's one of those situations where yes, it's probably under the radar because he's not having that big moment as it were. Um, and Gunner is having those big moments and Santander is having those big moments, but who sets them up for that? In many instances, it's been Adley. I'm going to try to appreciate this week uh, the great. I mean, what about you? I mean, I'm, like I said, that's just my perspective. Yeah, no, I, I, then, and that's why I asked the question, okay. because I I was shocked when I looked yeah. at the numbers this week and saw how good. I, I've been keeping Adley an was. eye on this is the best way to describe it, because I kept feeling almost like, like, is Adley underperforming the way that yeah. we, you know, we, we said that Adley is supposed to be this kind of talent. And I'm like, I think he's having a good season and I think he's doing well. But, like, how good is he doing in comparison to where we need to be? And when you look at the numbers, you're like, yeah, at least exactly where I would want him to be. He's not over-exceeding. I would say, you know, Gunner and him are equal in terms of value that they're bringing to the club right now. I'm not sure if that's what War says for a full season, but it's very interesting. Even if you take a look at projected future seasons, that's the way it looks, too. It's like... Adley's going to be worth typically, you know, 3.8 to 4.3 war. Gunner's going to be worth 3.8 to 4.3 war. You know, nobody is, you know, a run on a Kuna, but they're really two peas in a pod in terms of being great players. How cool is it that we've got two superstars on our team and there are more on the way? I was about to say, I was about to say, how cool is it going to be when you have three superstars on your team potentially next year with Jackson Holiday? Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Let's uh, head over. And uh, I don't know. I'd kind of like to see what happened this week in Fantasy Boss. We haven't heard this music in a while. I miss Tony Danza. All right, maybe I don't want to hear what happened in Fantasy Boss this week. All right, the dumb stat that I picked last week uh, was strikeouts by a reliever. You went with D.L. Hall, who we okay. just talked about. I went with Everyday Jake. I feel like this had to be super close. It was. It was five to four. That's, that's what I figured. Like, both both pitchers did really well. We've had a very close. Yeah. Uh, Were those the top two pitchers besides Cano? Uh, they were, uh, but th- there were a lot of fives. Okay. There were, I think there were like four or five pitchers with five strikeouts and five and yeah. four were the, cause again, highest. I'm talking about the bullpen and yeah. talking about DL Hall and where he fits in. Like I would put Webb and DL Hall currently in the same category. Yes. DL Hall did not have a good, you know, night, um, in that second game of the angel series, but relatively DL Hall has been very impressive since coming up. Yeah. Um, and, and he faltered in a game in which we won. <laughs> which i believe you tweeted about or just like well if you really want to beat him up for it, that's fine but like ultimately at the end of the day the Orioles won so let's not beat up on people too right. much on this basis right uh that does take you to a dolly parton nine to five uh score. yeah so and, uh, I, I think we're going to keep it simple i think we're going to go with just like we were talking about we're going to go with woba 
But you're going to not only get to choose between Adley or Gunner in terms of who is going to have a boba. Oh, good gravy, Scott. <laughs> so are you going to say, yes, I'm going to recognize Adley, even though he's been kind of unsung to this point? Or are you in essence going to say, I'm going to go ahead with Gunner because it makes me feel happier to to go for the AL Rookie of the Year? Look, I really enjoy both of these players. Yes, but if I had to, there is no wrong answer. If here. I had to walk into You're a store a coin. right now and buy a jersey, it would be thirty-five. So I'm going to go with Adley. Okay, and I'm going to go uh, with the AL Rookie of the Year. I'll go with Gunner. So we're going to see who wins this week with a Woba, um, and we'll see uh, if Jake can narrow the score or if I further extend it. But it's nine to five. With about a month to go, we still have a few wild cards kind of floating about in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe if Gunner has a really good week and a 450 foot home run, I get two points. Um, but maybe not is the best way to put it. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, with that, let's go ahead and find out who was good, uh, who was bad, and who was ugly this past week in Birdland. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Scotty, I'm going to go ahead and get us started as usual. But listen, I've broken the rules in the past. And, you know, I've I've picked out three goods in a row uh, because the season has been that good. I can't do that this week, Scott. Why not? There was so much hideous baseball to choose from in a week in which the Orioles won far more games than lost. And so, Scott, I don't want to have to break the rules, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go ugly, ugly, ugly. Really? This week. Okay. And I'm going to start my first ugly with the misadventures of Tony Maslino. <laughs> okay. He uh, he got a little bit of the Bobby Dickerson in him the other night. Yeah. And look, didn't didn't end up costing the Orioles, but boy howdy, at third base he was uh, he was a swinging. And it didn't always work out for us. So, Tony, you're my ugly this week. Get it together. We need you down the stretch. Yeah, um, that's a that's a good way to put it um, on that on that basis. So, um, I think my good for the week is probably going to go to. I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to go with just starting pitching in general. I'm going to talk about the three that we were talking about: Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Grayson Rodriguez. They've just been really impressive, um, you know, especially Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez. I think they're both at 2.7 ERA since the All-Star break. Um, just really impressive. And again, I don't want to take away Dean Kramer as well. I mean, Dean Kramer had a really nice, um, you know, start um, in, in terms of giving up no runs. He came out of the game a little early last night. Um, something, again, to keep an eye on as it relates to potentially a blister or something like that. Um, but again, I just, you know, we were talking about it earlier with Sam in terms of starting pitching and, you know, if you come back and look at the fan graphs projections, that's where the knock is. You take a look at team quality and people are like, we don't really believe in the Dean Kramers or the Grayson Rodriguez's or the Kyle Bradish's. But if you start to look at the stuff factor and you start to look at like how they're approaching batters, it certainly looks like they are maybe not a top 10 pitcher, but they certainly look like they're top 30 pitchers in Major League Baseball at this moment. So, again, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, I've got no qualms right now of giving two of those games owed to Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez and saying, 
go out, see what you can do. If it doesn't work, say la vie. But this is these are the guys that we are hoping to ride not just this year, but future years with. So they need to get that experience. Yeah, and and it comes down to I trust him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, Dean Kramer did not have his best stuff uh, the other night, and he came out too early, which taxed the bullpen. Yada yada. Do yada. you trust them more than any pitcher that was on the Buckle Up Birds era? Like, would you trust them more like than a Wee and Chen? I do. I mean, yeah i I think so. I think they I think collectively, okay, absolutely. What I will say is that this group. Not only do I trust them every time they they get the ball, but um, they are as good as they need to be for the rest of the team's strengths. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, um, and I think it'll be you know interesting. Again, we keep talking about this as at least to play off roster management. I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, how long the Orioles give a leash to folks like Bradish and Grace Rodriguez. Um, number one, in terms of, you know, not wanting to see them too exposed during the playoffs in terms of maybe getting three times to the roster, but also again, just like we've talked about this entire season, you know, the Orioles are going to have to watch a little bit of pitch count and a little bit of innings if they're going to progress deep into October, you're playing a full another month of baseball. Um, but yeah, like I said, they're, they're my good for the week is the best way to put it. Well, look, there's a lot of ugly to look at this week and we just talked about him in glowing terms but i need to call adley rutschman out for something that was simply unacceptable this week adley rutschman hit a double and left his pitching staff (laughs) hanging with water in their mouths refusing refusing to give that sprinkler motion that would have provided such needed relief uh, it was Irvin and it was Kramer who were the the victims of this. I would I would say terrible teammate moment from an Adley Rutschman. It's the kind of thing that you don't expect from our team leaders. And, and frankly, I, mean, I was just appalled. And that that that's ugly. My my good for the week is going to go to Anthony Santander. Oh, I'm sorry. If you can break the rules, so can I. Uh, in the past 14 days, Anthony Santander has five home runs, 14 RBIs, 333 average, 368 on base percentage, a 445 Woba, good for a 189 weighted runs created plus. In those two weeks, he's gained a 0.7 F war. Tony Taters has been absolutely in fuego at the plate and has been very clutch as well in terms of you know hitting uh, for some of those RBIs. So I know we talked about Gunner and I know we talked about Ali Rutschman. But again, as kind of an unsung individual, where would this team be without Anthony Santander in the lineup? This is a person that for multiple years in the past, we said, maybe we should put Santander up for trades. I mean, we've got a a, a glutton of outfield prospects. Like, does this guy really make sense for our future? And I think if you look at it, you can't frame the 2023 Orioles without Anthony Santander. Yeah, and and the thing that's funny is that at the beginning of the season, when you and I did our predictions, I think Gunner was your pick for MVO, and Santander was. was my pick yep. for MVO. Um, I think I'm going to be right. <laughs> You're going to be right, I think too. I'm going to be right. But Santander is making a strong case for himself to not be forgotten. I, I completely agree with that um, in, on, on that basis. Um, but yeah, like I said, Santander, really impressive two weeks. All right. My last ugly of the week is, again, we talked about it in glowing terms, and I'm just going to turn right around and spit in his face. Uh, I need to talk about Gunnar Henderson for a second. I have found the hole in his game. Gunnar Henderson has some really awkward 
lands at first base when he's trying to leg out an infield hit. And it scares the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. It happened uh, earlier in the season, and he actually came up lame. You know, they, his back was giving him a hard time uh, after after coming off the back. And it happened, you know, again tonight. It's happened many times. He just has a really awkward lope when he hits that bag because he's trying so hard to, to beat out the throw. It terrifies me, and that fear is ugly. My good is going to go to something that we haven't talked about this entire episode. We are well over an hour into this podcast. And I'm ashamed that we haven't talked about this yet. My good for the week is going to go to the return of Jorge Lopez to the Baltimore Orioles. I love the move. Yeah. I, I love the move. And again, if you're looking at the standpoint of like, well, Jorge Lopez is going to come back and in essence be, you know, the pitcher that he was last year for the Baltimore Orioles immediately. It's not going to happen, but I love the move in terms of you're bringing him back onto the roster at this moment. He's not going to be playoff eligible, but again, this is not just a move for right now to get you through September. This is a move where you look at Jorge Lopez and you say, that is someone that is going going to go into the pitching development machine that is the Baltimore Orioles during this offseason and is going to come back next year for 2024 and be an absolute dominant force. You cannot tell me that Jorge Lopez, in essence, was doing so well with the Baltimore Orioles in 2022 and then leaves to go to the Twins. Twins can't figure it out. Goes to the Marlins. Marlins can't figure it out. It just doesn't happen like that. So I look at this and say the Orioles know something. The Orioles see that they can do a tweak to get him back into where he needs to be. And I think this is a great move. Again, outside of what happens on paper this in September with Jorge Lopez and uh, on that basis, I love this move in terms of this is the kind of move the franchise needs to be making um, that, you know, other organizations, you know, in essence can't figure out from an analytics standpoint what to do with a Jorge Lopez. So my good for the week is going to go to Jorge Lopez returning, not so much for the performance of Jorge Lopez so far in the field, but just the return of Jorge Lopez and what that means going forward for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. And also the story. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we loved Jorge Lopez. He's totally. just such a likable guy. He loved being an Oriole and now he's back. And to get that, you know, that mojo uh, added to just what is already a great clubhouse. It's so much fun. It's so, so much fun. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is good. Uh, all right. So that was our good, good, good. And ugly, 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 right? Yeah. Uh, so with that, why don't we go ahead and uh, take a quick break, and let's go ahead and uh, blow the save. Jake, it's a tough night at the warehouse this evening. I don't know. I, I think the game is going great. Game is going okay. But this evening, there's a financial fallout at the warehouse. Jake, the Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band's um, concert was canceled. Um, Bruce is not feeling good. Uh, so we had to cancel all his concerts for, for, for September. Um, and by, by doing so, you know, John Angelus is not going to get about a million dollars worth of profit that would have been shared between the Maryland Stadium Authority and the Baltimore Orioles. 
Um, but John Angelos, in essence, is going to was going to claim all of it um, because the Maryland State Authority just didn't want to fight it. Um, and that that profitability is going to go out the window. How is he supposed to sign a lease when he can't even buy pens with the pocket change that a Bruce Springsteen concert would bring in? Dark times, dark times. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna confess. I'm not like a massive Springsteen fan. Like I acknowledge that he is great. Like that that is yeah. no question. Just he's fantastic. But I. I just not huge into him. Um, so apparently, you know, on this basis, um, the Orioles are going to have to make a few you know, financial decisions because, again, you know, there's going to be, you know, a million dollars loss. Um, so apparently uh, what they're going to do is they're going to do a freeze out. Um, they're going to turn down all the temperatures. It's going to get really <laughs> cold. Um, you know, it's not going to be on 10th Avenue, as it were, um, but it's going to be a freeze out nonetheless. Nice. I, I mean, I hope he's OK. I hope he is too. I think it's, you know, I think he's, they're playing it very cautiously um, sure. is the best way to put it. Um, it's not like Bruce is extremely, you know, young of age. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I think, you know, it's, you know, just not a great situation. Um, and I'm sure John Angelus is uh, losing his mind right now uh, on, on losing this opportunity. Well, that is the, uh, the fire that, that fuels our franchise. Well, you know, I mean, it, it it does raise the question of like if you know Bruce does have to come back again um, because they had to reschedule it and maybe it's during the winter time, you know does he again play at you know the new Baltimore Arena and maybe not at Camden Yards? I I think maybe you have to look at whether or not his return to Baltimore is going to coincide with a parade. Ooh, I like that. I like that. And with that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birds Eye View is available for wherever you get your downloads. Um, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, Snapchat, we're on the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on a little app that used to be called Twitter, where we post at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.